Well, we have been in a series about Ephesians. We've been kind of working through that uh, through the summer. Uh, and so we're going to continue that. We're going to kind of go through September. Uh, and then we're going to start a new series uh, in October uh, that I'm excited about. It's all about uh, connecting and the importance uh, of that in our lives. Um, we have a memory verse we've been working on. Uh, and I know for some of you, you haven't had to work on memory verses since you were kids. Okay, I get that. So turn on the brain, knock off a little dust and rust, and, and we're kind of working on it. So let's say it together. Be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you, Ephesians 4, 32. And the way to remember it is the pieces. Okay, it's three, you're told to do three things. Be kind, tender-hearted, forgive, and then we do that through Christ uh, because he has forgiven us. Let's try it one more time. Be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you, Ephesians 4, 32. Um, so uh, before I get started this morning, uh, we're going to kind of get into a section where Paul has kind of given uh, some advice to the, to the Ephesians. And I, I just need to say right up front, normally my sermons are G. This one's going to be PG, uh, not because I'm going to say anything bad, but because the content does include him kind of talking about some sexual sins. There's kind of a section on that. And so I just kind of want to warn you, let you know, uh, especially if we have kids, uh, that sort of thing. I'm not going to say anything I think that will require very much explaining, but, but I do want to kind of give that up, up front. So before we get to all of that, now that I've piqued your interest, right, uh, before we get to this, I got a question for you, okay? What do you think of when you think of the word imitation? Fake. What? Coffee? Coffee. Copy. Sorry, I did that in the 8 o'clock service. I cannot hear that word. Copy. What'd you say? Oh, copy. Okay, what else? Walmart. Walmart. <laughs> Walmart. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Good. Uh, what else? Oh, man. <laughs> so I didn't catch all of those there. There's several of them. Fake. Fake. Yeah. Artificial. Somebody say ice cream. What? Oh, tofu ice cream. Ah, I'm detecting a little issue there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we all kind of think of it as, as some sort of a, a, a bad sort of thing, right? We just, you know, it just doesn't you know, carry that for us. Cheap, artificial, pretend, uh, any of those sorts of things. Let me see if I can help a little bit with this. Uh, I want to give you some examples uh, in pictures of imitation, okay? Who taught you to tie a tie, guys? How many of it was your dad? Yeah, yep, me too. Okay, not that we tie ties anymore. Plain patty cake, you learn that, you know, from your parents. Sticking the tongue out. Usually an uncle teaches this. I was the uncle that taught my nieces and nephews about how to do that. <laughs> so, computer. Notice the women are working hard. The guys seem to be like playing a video game or something. I don't know. This is the one I, I like the most because uh, there's a picture of me. I, I looked and looked and couldn't find it uh, at the back of our house when I was a really little guy. And I was standing there in my jammies and I had my dad's boots on, you know, because uh, I wanted to be like my dad. I wanted to imitate my dad. That's a part of wanting to be like someone is you, is you want to imitate them in some sort of way. So let me rephrase the question a little bit and, and ask it like this. What are some of the ways your children imitate you? 
While you're thinking about that, let me give you just one for me. It dawned on us at one point that my daughter had followed my career path and my son into ministry, and my son followed my wife's career path into education. I thought, well, that's a pretty cool way to imitate your parents, you know? Uh, what others? What are the ways of your kids imitated you? Some what? Match the clothing. Yeah, good. Others? Traveling. Have a love for travel. Yeah, I know your family loves to travel. <laughs> Driving? Is that good or bad? <laughs> I'm going to assume it's good. It's good. <laughs> what? A little bit of both of, of the two of them? Yeah, yep. Yeah, imitation, as it turns out, isn't necessarily a bad thing, okay? So uh, our, our verse this morning, the text is Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 5, uh, 1 through 21. And, and the word that is kind of important in this, this first verse that kind of sets everything else up is the word imitation. And it's kind of tough in, in English because we have some negative connotations of that, but we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. So if you have your Bibles, uh, and, and we also, the notes that you have inside your worship folder, you'll find the, uh, the passage there as well. It says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So you, you, you've seen this over and over again, if you want to look for patterns in Scripture, where basically Paul says, do this, and the reason you do this is because Christ has already done that for you, right? Forgive others because Christ has forgiven you. Okay, uh, be imitators and walk in love because God has loved you, sort of a pattern that we have uh, in, in, that, in that passage there. Um, and so as important as imitation is in our world, in the ancient world, it was even more important. In our world, we live in a world where our children try to figure out what their career should be. Trying to figure, you know, should I do this or should I do that? Or what school should I go to? Or what should I become? How can I find fulfillment? You know, I grew up in the 60s and a lot of my buddies spent time trying to find ourselves. I never quite figured out what that was all about, but we were going to find ourselves and work it out. In the ancient world, it wasn't like that at all. If your dad was a carpenter, you became a carpenter. That was it. It was all done. If your dad was a blacksmith, you became a blacksmith. If your dad uh, worked, you know, whatever they, whatever they did, you did that. And the way you learned it was through imitation. You'd go in there as a little guy into carpenter shop, Jesus into Joseph's carpenter shop, and play with the wood. And, and dad would work on wood, and they probably worked on stone a lot. You know, you'd learn how to hit the stone. You'd learn how to do those things. You'd all of the sorts of things. So that at some point, you actually became proficient with it and maybe could one day kind of take over the, the, uh, the business. So when Paul says, be imitators of God as beloved children, that's exactly what he's talking about. The image he has set here is the image of the family and the image of sons and daughters who are becoming like their parents uh, in that. And that is what he's saying uh, to us, that, that, that we are to become, we are to imitate, by imitation, we are to become uh, like Christ in, in all we do. In fact, in the early, early time of Jesus, it didn't even occur to them that they could be something other than what their parents were. That's just, it was locked in. It's, it's the way it was. And so we too, uh, just as, as we uh, learned from our parents by imitation, now he's saying as adults, learn from your heavenly father by imitating him, okay? So here's what that looks like then, okay, through the walk in love. Being an imitation, imitator of God means living a life of love. Say, living a life of love. 
Yeah, and, and all of the other sorts of things, you know, you, you can't be like God in some of the ways that God is like God. Any of you can raise the dead? Can you be like God? Like, yeah, no, nobody out there. How about walking on water? Any of you good at walking on water? I mean, if you tried to walk on water at the pool at some point, <laughs> yeah, me too, it didn't work. <laughs> no matter how much faith I thought I had, down you go, you know, kind of a thing. There are all kinds of ways. But the way in which you can be like your Heavenly Father, the way in which you carry your Heavenly Father's DNA is love. And responding to our world in love. And he calls us to live a life of love. That's what that walk means, a continuing process uh, in, in our life. And just to be clear here, this, the word that is agape is the, the root word uh, for this word for love. And, and he defines it in there. He says, by giving himself up, by sacrificing himself. And that's the way Jesus always defined the word love is self-sacrificing, right? And I know we hear lots of definitions of love, and the TV's got definitions of love, and, you know, a couple of 13-year-olds will tell you they're in love, you know, but, but that, that's not the kind of love that he's talking about. Even when sometimes people say unconditional love, and there's an element of that that is true in that God loves everybody no matter what, but, but self-sacrificing is really the way Jesus defined love. And so he calls us into this self-sacrificing kind of love of, of, of denying ourselves and, and not just losing our lives, but, but deliberately setting aside our choices and our will and all of those sorts of things, right? I mean, you don't have to be married more than about five minutes when you figure out sometimes you're just going to have to set aside your stuff, amen? amen? Yeah, that's both of you. I mean, we all think, well, yeah, I remember when I had it. But, that, but that's all. It's, it's the nature of love. Why do you do it? You do it because you love them. And, and they're worth it in, in that. And so uh, he's kind of using this family uh, model here. Um, and here, here's what I know, and this isn't in your notes, uh, but this is kind of a, a I've been kind of working on this word-wise. Here's what I really believe. Love is first and most fully formed in family. First formed and most fully formed in family. And, and even in the secular world, you'll see this out there. Children that grow up in loving, supportive homes with boundaries and all of that, that good stuff turn out way different than kids that are, grow up in abusive and destructive kinds of families. Why? The formation of love in their life. And, and so the family is, that's why the family is so important to this church. Uh, we're working on getting this wall done so we can get our, we will tell the next generation back up there where you all can see that and be reminded of that, that that's what we're about. We're about the next generation, amen? amen. That's what God has called us because love is first and most fully formed in, in the family. Uh, and we just want to make sure that we, we, we get that really clear. So um, then we are to live in such a way that when people look at us, they see Jesus, Amen. I mean, if they look real close, they're not going to see Jesus. But, but when they look at it, they should, they should see Jesus. And, and you understand this. There's, um, you know, families. You've seen families where they all look alike, right? You know? There's an interesting study. I don't know if any of you, I read pretty broadly. There was an interesting study that's come out uh, about doppelgangers. You know what a doppelganger is? It's somebody that looks just exactly like you. And I, I've been praying for the poor dude that has my face too. You know, it's like, sorry, dude. I don't know. You know? But, but they did this study where they, they kind of pulled these people together from all over the world. They, they weren't seemingly related uh, at all. And then they kind of looked at their DNA. And you know what they discovered? That those people actually had much more shared DNA than would normally be a part of that. 
that not only did they look alike, but they had shared DNA. They had shared characteristics or all, all sorts of things that were, were a part of that. And, and so that's kind of this idea here that, that, that when, when they look at us, they should see Jesus in our life. And, and we know that, again, the imitation process is carried from generation to generation, not just through, uh, through genetics, but, but through families, right? I mean, you, you've seen this. You know, you grow up in a certain family and you have a certain set of norms, right? That, you, that this is the way you are. This is the way manners are done. This is the way you behave. All, all of this sort of thing. And I've shared this before. One of the things from my dad, and most people, not there, one of the things from my dad was you hold the door for people, whether they be a woman or a man or they're young and they're old, especially if they're old. And, and I just picked that. I watched my dad do that. And one day I found myself doing it. He never said that to me. But just growing up in that family, it was one of the things that, that, were, that were a part of it. Uh, and you, you, you see the kids, you see the next generation that kind of represents that same sort of thing. And so uh, what, what Paul is saying here is that the, the, the life of the family is the life of imitation from one generation to the next, and the next, and the next, and the next. So live a life of love. Let that flow out of you. Walk in love as a family. Now, the next section we're going to talk about it's kind of hard. He's going to get on them about some stuff. He's going to remind them of some stuff. And the best way I can, I can help you to understand why he's doing this and where he's going with this is that um, if you, you've been through the stage where your kids grow up into, up into the teenage years, the teenage years are scary, right? Because you don't know what they're doing and where they're going and they're independent and all of that. And so it is in the teenage years that certain lectures begin, like don't do drugs, right? How many of you said that to your kids at some point, you know? <laughs> you know, all of those sorts of things. Don't drink and drive. Don't have premarital sex. Don't, all of these things that we're trying to warn them about because we're, we're, we're concerned that they're not concerned enough about that issues. Don't hang out with the wrong crowd. All sorts of things that we know, decisions they can make that would ruin their life in some way or destroy their life or make it much, much, much more difficult. So Paul is now doing this. He's, the, he's been the pastor of this church. His, uh, his protege, Timothy, is the pastor at this point. And so he's got, so, okay, I, there's some things I just got to tell you guys because I'm worried about you. So that's what he jumps into. So now he jumps, verse 3, but sexual immorality or any impurity or greed, and actually the word greed is tied to the sexual immorality, so it's more like sexual addiction, must not even be mentioned among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness or foolish talk or vulgar joking, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Okay, now I want to back up just a little bit, back to this verse. This is not an anti-sex talk from Paul. Paul understands Judeo-Christian theology, which is that sex was created before the fall of humanity, so sex is good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you all should have said amen right there, okay? All of you who are adults. It's good. What is going on here is Paul is talking about them in the, on the issue of how to protect women. Right? So this first word, sexual immorality, in Greek, it's the word for prostitution. Who is most harmed by prostitution? Women. Women. Especially in the first century. Okay? And, and who is harmed by, by um, some of the, going down to the next one here, um, filthiness and foolish talk and vulgar joking. That's, ladies, maybe you don't know this, and so just cover your ears for a minute. But I have been in locker rooms, and that kind of talk is about degrading women. 
It's about making them objects. It's about reducing them to their sexuality. And so this isn't just Paul saying sex is bad, okay? He says sex is good. Give thanks. Thanks be to God, you know? You all remember your honeymoon? <laughs> uh-huh. I know this makes you a little uncomfortable, but theologically, it's, it's legit. The issue is here, when we get into these kinds of sins, number one, it degrades women, and number two, it destroys the family. And those are both really bad things because God is all about that part of it uh, for us. So again, the, at this time in Ephesus, um, they, they had lots of different temples and lots of different gods, including a number of them that, that were uh, what we think of as fertility gods. Uh, so the idea was if you wanted a good harvest, you had to go to the temple and have sex with the temple prostitute. So that's the context here. And all kinds of wild stuff that I won't go into or we won't be PG anymore. But, but I, I want you to understand that this is not an anti-sex talk. This is a pro-women. Protect the women. They are valuable in their life and protect the home. That's what he's talking about. That's the warning he's, he's giving to them. Okay? So, um, sexuality is not dirty or obscene. It is a gracious gift from God for which we are to give thanks. Say, thank you, Lord. I won't make you go any further than that, but, but that's, that's a, a part of it, okay? Um, and so I want you to understand how, how that's working because here's the deal. The, only God can truly create. So sin is the devil taking something that God has created good and twisting it, right? So prostitution is taking something good and twisting it. Even greed is taking something good, financial resources, and twisting it. And so what's going on here is that he's saying this has been twisted and it's very easy for in certain cultures for that area of life to get really twisted. And I think we live in a time where that's very twisted, amen? And it's, it's just, it's not uh, good, good for us. Um, and so, um, in fact, verse 3, back up just a little bit here. Um, oops, sorry. Uh, uh, sexual more greed must not even be mentioned among you. That, it's kind of, that's really hard to translate into Greek, but the NIV uh, did a really good job. Here's how they translated that. No one should be able to point out sexual sin in the church. That's a good translation of that. The, the, and we live in a time, in fact, this week, a major religious leader, Christian leader of a large church fell. You know, and it just seems like every, you know, and this is why Paul was warning us. Because every time that happens, they take down more people with them, right? And so it's not just them, it's the, the consequences that goes out there. And so I don't want to linger here too long, but I absolutely want you to understand this is an important thing that Paul's talking about there. So now, on to verse 5. Uh, For this you know with certainty that no sexually immoral or impure or greedy person which amounts to an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. See that no one deceives you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Uh, and so this whole thing is about uh, don't, don't let the old way of life come back into your life. Because many of these people have come out of paganism, right? And, and, you know, some of you have come out of rough lives and said, be careful with that. You know, my dad came out of that. And so one of the things I loved about my dad is he was very clear about this. Keep your life clean. Give sin a wide berth. Give temptation a, a wide berth. Don't even get close because the consequences are too difficult. This is why we tell our kids, don't drink and drive because you can make a mistake that we can't fix. 
premarital sex. Don't get pregnant out of wedlock because you can make a mistake that we can't fix. Not that the kid isn't wonderful, but man, that changes your life. Man, that changes your life. And that, that, that's where Paul is. He's, he's pleading with them to, uh, to do the, the, the right thing. And, and those kinds of sins are just destructive to your soul. And then verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Woohoo! <laughs> oh, come on. That's good news, right? These people with all of their perfections and all of their temptations and all of their stuff, he said God still says you are light. You are children of the light, in fact, in, in the next say that. So look at your neighbor and say, you are light. Yeah, and, and, and then he goes on, watch this, the next verse is so cool. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light consists of goodness and righteousness and, and truth. And so this is the opposite of that whole destructive thing when sin gets a hold of you. You, you are born to light. You are children uh, of the light uh, in, in that. You are, you're, you're the little light and God's the big light. You're the moon and God's the sun, however you want to think about all of that. But, but you're, you're, you're a part of what God is doing in the world even with all of your flaws. Uh, and so let God's light shine through you is kind of the thing he's talking about here. And then he, he talks about the, the fruit of all of this. It's kind of the harvest, the, the goodness. And the, the goodness is upright of heart and, and kindness. That's what God's fruit produces in us. The, the truth is the idea of you don't have to cover anything up. If you have a, a secret life, there's a, a, a cover-up and there's a lie about it. And then you've got to remember your lies and, and that sort of thing. I, I don't know about you, but I remember the day I decided I wasn't going to lie anymore. And it didn't have anything to do with spirituality. It was just that I got caught in a lie because I couldn't remember it, right? Couldn't remember what I was supposed to say. I was a little kid, and I got in trouble. And, and you know, ADHD, you should not be a liar because we can never remember how it all goes together. Amen? <laughs> and, and that's what, the truth sets you free, righteousness and, and, and truth. And then righteousness is right relationship with God and others. That's the life you want to live. You don't want to live the secret life, covering stuff up, worrying that you're going to get caught and involved in things that are destructive to your soul. You want a life of goodness and righteousness and truth. And then verse 10, as you try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Everybody say amen. amen. Yeah. You know what learn means? You know what the one qualification to learn is? You have to be ignorant. Amen? Because if you know, you don't need to learn. And so what he's saying here is that you, you guys haven't arrived None of you are perfect, okay? Anybody think they're perfect? Oh, good, yeah. Well, delusion would be the problem then with all of that, okay? You have to learn and you have to grow, and yet God is working through them. He just called them light in the, in the world. He's called them his beloved children. And so if you're not perfect, welcome to the club. God is still using you, and he knows all of your sins, even the ones you can't remember. He knows all of those, and still he chooses you, okay? So... The issue is not where you, are, where you are in your journey, but where you are going. Amen. Which way are you pointed? Are you pointed toward becoming Christ-like, or are you pointed to moving away from Christ and his body and the, and the church? And I know sometimes it's three steps forward and two steps back, but that's not what matters. What matters is which way are you pointed? Where are you going? What's your, your, your direction in life? So then 11, he's going to pick up another warning here, okay? Do not participate in useless deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them, for it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. Uh, next verse. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. 
And this is Paul just kind of giving you a hard truth. I've been doing this a long time, and I'm here to tell you secret sins eventually come out into the light. And I have watched with brokenheartedness. I have had people in my office where I told them, you got to stop that. you got to move away from that. That's going to destroy your life. No, no, no. It's, I, I, I'm careful. I won't get caught. And sometimes they go years. And then one day they get caught. And it blows their life up. And this is, again, this is a father warning these people, be careful with this stuff. This can, can really, really harm you. This is a, he's not judging him. He's trying to, to save them for what God would have for them. Verse 14, for this reason it says, awake sleeper and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. So here's the hope. You got that secret sin. You got that stuff going on. You have the power of the resurrection in your life. Christ wants to forgive and heal and make you into all that he wants you to be. And he has the power to do it. He can raise people from the dead. I'm telling you, I love my doctor, but he cannot raise people from the dead. You know, he can only heal so much. There's only, but Christ can raise people from the dead and Christ will shine on you. He will put his blessing on you. Resurrection life is what the body of Christ is all about. Say, resurrection life. Never, ever forget that. That is at the heart of what we're about, what you're about. And, and by the way, that means it's, that's what you reflect is resurrection life. Stress is off you. You don't got to be perfect. You don't got to have it all together. You don't got to have every answer. Just let the resurrection of life of Christ come into others through your life. Be Christ to then. So then, be careful, it means attentive, how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise. And I could hang for a while on this one. But one of the, um, for me, uh, a life-changing moment in young adulthood came when I, w- I was at a conference and they were talking about making decisions. You know, is it good for the company? You know, is it, is it uh, profitable for the company? Uh, is it good for you? All these kind of th- reasons we give to make a decision, yes or no. And at the end of it, the guy finally said, but the most important question is this, and most people never ask it, is it wise? That was a game changer for me. Because there was stuff that fit all the other categories, but I knew it wasn't wise. There's too much risk in there, or it really doesn't fit us. Or, so is it wise? And Paul is saying wisdom is so important because you'll get this stuff if you get the wisdom. Making the most of your time because the days are evil. Amen. Therefore, do not be foolish. So that's the opposite of wise. So he's continuing thought. But understand what the will of the Lord is. That's what wisdom is, is understanding what, what God wants in, in all of this. Verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine in which there is debauchery. And that actually, the word debauchery actually means a waste of time. It's a waste of time. But this is a a good admonition because drunkenness, (laughs) things happen. Uh, Inhibitions are lowered. And I can't tell you how many times, again, I've seen lives blown up because someone decided to be overly intoxicated. This is not anti-alcohol. This is anti-drunkenness. Do you understand that? Uh, and, and so just, just again, he's trying to be careful, try, uh, trying to uh, encourage them. And then here's the good news. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing and making melody with, uh, with your heart, hearts to the Lord. And so the way it's said in the original language, it's don't be, don't be uh, drunk, but instead be filled with the Spirit, right, of, of God, and let that be the thing. And when that's the thing, then these are the things that pour out of you, hymns and spiritual songs and singing and making melody uh, with your, your hearts to the Lord that, we, that, that pours out of us, that we should sing, you know, we should rejoice. Somebody say amen here, you know, okay? 
I know you don't want to hear me sing, but there are people that really bless you when they sing, right, Kramer, you know, down there? So th- that, that, that comes out of you. And then uh, he, he goes on uh, to say, um, always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to our God and Father. So that's the second way in which the life of the Spirit pours out of you. There's a, the pouring out with the singing and the joy, and then the pouring out with giving thanks to God. Followers of Jesus should be the most grateful people in the world, amen? Because we know what God has done for us. We know all the things. And it's a little disturbing when I meet Christians who are ungrateful because I want to go, uh, heaven, eternal life, got a lot to be grateful in this place. And then the last one, um, and subject yourselves to one another in the fear of Christ. And that's the idea of mutual subject, subjection to one another, of being in life together, of, of, of listening to one another, of setting our own stuff aside for the people we love, not just our families, but, but with the, the body of Christ. We have always been intended to be one together. Amen? The end of John is what Jesus prays. Lord, make them one. Of all the things he could have prayed for, that was the big one. So sum up the whole thing. Here we go. Uh, pattern your life after Jesus. Let him be the mentor. Let him, him be the guide. Uh, a long time ago, there was this thing going around. What would Jesus do? Say, what would Jesus do? Yeah, that's such a good question to ask. That's just really, I mean, it was a kind of a, usually fads come and go, but that was one I wish had stuck around. What would Jesus do in your life, in this situation, in, in this place? And then follow that. That's one of the best ways you can ask what is, is wise uh, in there. Uh, and so uh, then, um, don't walk alone. We are meant to live with one another. God is with you, and we are with you. We are to walk together. Be filled with the Spirit. Encourage one another. Uh, be thankful for all that God does, and then subject, subject yourselves to one another. Pay attention to each other. Listen to what each other has, has, has to say, okay? Um, and it's, it's all about that living in love. So here's one of the ways I've really learned this one. Um, I, when, when the Lord called me to preach, I was like, you have got to be kidding me, right? I just don't know all that much. And, and one of the things I've discovered over time is that, that I, I just don't know that much about all kinds of things. I don't know squat about so many things that are a part of the life of the church. And then one day I caught on to the fact that I'm not supposed to know that stuff. I'm supposed to know people that know that stuff, which by the way is you, <laughs> Don't look at me like that. No, I'm not making eye contact. No, no, he's going to ask me to do something. And, and, and so here's the way I say it. I don't know squat about so many things, but I know people who know squat. You know squat. Say to the person next to you, you know squat. There's something about that. And this very morning at the 8 o'clock service, we're going to talk about a wall here, and there was a guy that came in that, that's been a part of our church forever that has a building background. He owned a company. I said, come talk to me. We've got to figure out how to do the drawings for the city. And he figured it out, and he discovered another problem with some ventilation stuff that would get messed up. And he said, but I don't know anything about that. And I thought, there's somebody else in our church that owns a heating and air conditioning company. Guess who I'm going to call this week? Hey, you know squat. I need your squat at my church. <laughs> You know, that's what he means. Don't walk alone. Don't don't walk alone. And there's great joy uh, in in walking together. And so this whole, the hard part of this, again, I just want to say, this is a loving pastor saying to his people, danger, danger. Don't go down these roads because there's destruction. But if you go down this road, there is life. And so um, I want to kind of wrap it up with this. I want to come back to our first thing. Therefore, be imitators God as beloved children. Say beloved children. Okay. Yeah. So you are a beloved child of God. 
Look at your neighbor and say, you are a beloved child of God. Yeah, look, make sure you get both of them on either way. And Kramer, if you could come. So here's your homework for this week. Yes, I'm going to give you homework. Kids went back to school, kind of brought out the teacher in me. This week, I want you to think of yourself as no other thing other than a beloved child of God. So when the devil gets on your shoulder to say, oh, you're a sinner, the devil gets on your shoulder to say, you failed too many times, the devil gets on your shoulder to say, you don't got it together, you get to, you get to say, ha, preacher said I could tell you to go away because I'm a beloved child of God. Amen. Okay, say beloved child of God again, okay? Yes. Avoid the destruction of things. Embrace the life of, of Christ. And if you fall down, get up. Amen. I mean, what did you do when your kids fell down? You helped them up, brushed them off, dried the tears, and said, move on. Why? Because they were your beloved children. Amen? And so I hope that this week, this week, we can focus on being beloved children of God. Our Heavenly Father wants that for us. And even more, the Heavenly Father, your Heavenly Father this morning invites you to the feast that is the Lord's table uh, together as we come in just a minute. And so I, I, one of the key metaphors in all of this is that there's a feast coming when we get to heaven, served to us by Christ. And I always think about that when I think about Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner, because we always have all the family in. And when I was a kid, lots of cousins and relatives and, and this giant sort of thing. And, and, and that's what this is. He invites you to come and be a part of what he wants to do uh, in your life. Um, he wants to heal the brokenness. He wants to forgive the sins. He, he wants to give you life and remind you that you are invited to the table because you are a beloved child of God. Amen. So if those who are going to help us with communion would come, I'm, I'm going to ask God's blessing and prayer on this, and then we're going to invite you come down this middle one and kind of go back uh, through those. We have both uh, intinction, which is the regular way with the bread that we always do it, but we also have the, um, the little pre-done ones, if you would feel more comfortable uh, with that. And I'm going to ask you to just go ahead and, and take it, uh, or if you want to take your thing back and then take it, uh, because just logistically it's hard to hold one that's like sopping while we wait for everybody to take it uh, together. Um, let's pray. Father God, as we come to this table, I pray that you would prepare our hearts, that you would speak to us, Father, that you would cleanse us where we need to be cleansed, Father, that you would chastise us where we need to be chastised, that you would encourage us where we need to be encouraged, Father, that you would remind us that this is your banquet, Father, and that we are come to come rejoicing, knowing that we are clothed in forgiveness and mercy, and we have the gift of your joy of salvation. I pray, Father, that you would forgive us our sins and feed us this moment as we come to the table of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.